Hello and welcome to Weird Flicks But Okay. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Eric. And today we're going to talk about Harry Potter. Yeah, we are. Specifically, the first movie, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And we have two people as guests on today. Two very special guests. Uh Uh-huh. We have Andrew. Hello, I'm Andrew. And Sadie. Hi, I'm Sadie. (laughs) And... They're like our resident Harry Potter experts, so we thought Uh-oh. their mm-hmm. input would be valuable here. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to just do a little bit of a recap with an old franchise that these two people just adore? So here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought I was a Harry Potter fan, but... Turns out... Andrew, you trump my Harry Potter knowledge easily. I'm, like, kind of good at this. Yeah, Andrew knows some obscure stuff. <laughs> And Sadie uh, has been a diehard Harry Potter fan since the very beginning, OG. But we may run into some confusion here because you have a lot of background in different aspects of the Harry Potter world. Oh, you want to get into the that? extended Harry Potter universe? <laughs> uh, yeah, I read a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction. Uh, Something to be ashamed of. I. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I just didn't know if you wanted to go in that direction. Oh, I wanted to go in that direction. You cool. wanted to punk cool. you a little bit. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I read a lot of fan fiction. I'm going to try to remember what is fan fiction and what is the book and what is the movie. And that'll be really interesting. And everyone will have to tell me I'm wrong when I yeah. say something bogus. Yeah, let's Can't say wait. weird things that sounds like you're just <laughs> making up when we, when we do this. How well, exciting. I haven't read the books in a really long time, so my Harry Potter knowledge is, like, very movie-based. So I'm glad that we have you guys to kind of make the comparisons. Well, now I've listened to all the audiobooks because Sadie has done that to me. But I read the first book uh, when it first came out. Wasn't enthused, and then sort of dropped off from the franchise. And then the movies came out, and I actually did see all the movies pretty much as they came out. Mm -hmm. So my experience is also much more with the movies than it is with the books. But I have since read the the books in their entirety, but it was after seeing all the movies. That's good, because this is a movie podcast. Well, I'm just... Usually. Context is key. Yeah, we are focusing on the movie, though, but we do like to have the book background. That's important. You like to know where they went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or right. Maybe they got some things right. We'll find so, out. So, uh, as you might be able to tell, Sadie's a bit of a purist, even though, ironically, she's more obsessed with the fan fiction than she I wouldn't say... Well... I would not say more obsessed. I would just say equally obsessed. Great. <laughs> uh, okay, so the movie we're talking about today is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Already running into a little controversy there. <laughs> Man, I'm getting right from the get go. Yeah, this, this is scandalous. <laughs> I had a pen pal in England, and she sent me the first two copies. So my first book was Philosopher's <laughs> Stone, Stone, and it was the British conversion. Oh, that's cool. And I lent it to someone, and they never gave it back. Wow. That's so less cool. I no Where longer have that. I don't know actually. <laughs> We need to it was a coworker, and they mm-hmm. moved away and took my book forever. Little side. I hope they listen to this, and I hope they know what to do with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Okay, so this came out in two thousand one. That was nineteen years ago. Let's just all throw up real quick. Yeah, I'll let me. Yum. For you guys at home, you throw up too. Uh, 
All right, back to the podcast. It's <laughs> um, gross. Yeah, so 19 years ago, it was directed by Chris Columbus. Not... Not the, the not the douchebag. Yeah, not the not, one that we uh, do not like. Yeah, not the. Yeah, we, we canceled that guy. <laughs> we do not stand. Yeah, we don't stand that Columbus. <laughs> yeah, so it was directed by Chris Columbus, who also directed Home Alone. Also, John Williams did the music. <sighs> Magical. Really quick, do you remember what you thought of the movie when it came out? Oh, I was enthralled with it. I mean, I was just, I was so here for it. Um. Like, the arrival of the letters. All those, like, little scenes that you read, and you're just like, I wonder how... Oh, there's going to be a movie? How are they going to do that? I want to see that visually, you know? And you want to see Hagrid, and you want to see him go against the Dursleys and put them in their place, and oh, yeah. how awful they are to him, <laughs> and, you know, barreling down the door on that little, like, shack they're in. Oh, that yeah. scary shack. so excited. House scary. Island. That. Yeah, mm. House Island. Horror, <laughs> horror show of a place to stay. Shack Island. I feel like I, I think I got the first two books from my pen pal together. And so I think I read them at the same time and I don't know what year it was. Like, I don't know. I want to, I remember seeing a Harry Potter, like one of the early ones in the theater as a child, but I can't remember which one it was. So I can't remember my first impression. Mm-hmm. I was just excited to have a movie version of the book. I feel like there's two people when they... <laughs> When they do, like, a movie adaptation, there's the people that are just excited that it exists, so they're maybe not as picky, and then there's the people that are going to nitpick every single oh, thing yeah. and be... Yeah, the That's me. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for them to mess up. Yeah. There oh, have been... Ta- like, there was one this? of the... <laughs> wow. Can't yeah. believe you. Well, there was one same. that I... I can't remember which yeah, movie it was, but I re I re- reread the book, and I remember I brought the book to the theater with me because I wasn't done rereading it. And I, it was the time when they had midnight showing. So I was in there probably seated at like 10 and sitting there for two hours and like finishing the book right before the movie came out. That was that was bad. I don't recommend because it was so fresh that just the whole movie. I was like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and that's yeah, don't recommend that. <laughs> so the movie opens up with Dumbledore, iconic character. Professor McGonagall and Hagrid and they have baby Harry and they leave him at the Dursley's doorstep. And then we fast forward to 10 years later when Harry's turning 11 in the cupboard under the stairs and we kind of watch him live with the Dursleys. So that's how it starts. The Dursleys are awful. I really like this opening scene, the sequence, because you get like such a good little teaser of what the magical world is like. Just a little, little taste. And then you see how horrible normal life is with these awful people who wake you up with like banging on your little, little shack door. <laughs> And uh, your cousin just stomping on the stairs above your head. And then you have to cook them breakfast. And then this is, it's Dudley's birthday. And he has 36 presents and instead of 37 last year. And then they cave after you scre- after Dudley screams in their face that that's less than last year. And then they're like, oh, okay, we're going to go buy two more. It sounds great. I hate them. Sorry. I worst just... kid. Worst <laughs> kid, worst family. Uh, they really do a good job. Yeah, because you hate them. I hate them so yeah. much. And I hate them too. And you continue hating them for like seven, seven movies. movies. Yeah. <laughs> 19 years. They never redeem themselves. <laughs> and I almost like want them to at some point. Like I want to see a little humanity from freaking Aunt well, there Virginia. Is a, there is a little bit from Dudley in right before they say goodbye in seven. Yes, but that's, that's so far away. Very far away. 
We'll get to that in a future episode. <laughs> uh, and while we're, yeah, you're right. while we're in the beginning, kind of, what did you guys think of the casting? Some of it is great. Yeah. I really like McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like original Dumbledore. I really like Alan Rickman, even though he's kind of old. Um, but I like him. Like, McGonagall is Maggie Smith to me now. Oh, 100%. I think There's no other iteration. Maggie Smith knocked that out of the park, and Alan Rickman did too, except she, you're right. I mean, in a way, yeah, it is. he is too old for that part. He's supposed to be like 30, what, four at most or something for that character. There's I no way. So. But it's like it's like you're the, the playing the high school character and you're like 32, <coughs> kind of but the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're in the context of you being a, a small child and mm-hmm. watching this movie, he just looks like an adult. Like true. It's like an yeah. undefinable age, because when you're a kid, you don't think about like the disparity between 30 and 60, you know, and they make him look younger. He has like greasy black hair. He looks like a younger guy than he is. A young stud. Sure. <laughs> yeah. With a cape. And a, yeah. Yeah. And then we have the main three. So, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grant. I feel like the main three <laughs> actors are, when I first saw this, I was very young. I, I'll preface this by saying like, I wasn't too concerned with acting when yeah. I first saw this movie. But in retrospect, seeing this movie now multiple times and seeing, you know, as the franchise evolved and growing up alongside these characters and actors and, and having more of a propensity for caring about that sort of thing, um, I feel like they may have found, like, some of the weakest possible actors for all wow. three of them. Hot take. Like... All the kids. Like, some, it can be hard to find good child actors. I know that. Yeah. You, what they did was they actually just went all over the country and were just like, hey, you want to try out? Like, I, I don't even think they were trying to find actors. That was the first mistake right there. They were just yeah, looking, find they were, actors. They just were looking for lookalikes, right. basically. And, and what's funny about that is um, that Daniel Radcliffe has the wrong colored eyes. In addition, so he he fails on every level. So the thing about Daniel Radcliffe, to be serious, the thing about Daniel Radcliffe is he seems like a very nice person. I love his acting now. His like, acting now, I like more for sure. He's I doing was all gonna, his weird stuff. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, you're, that's okay. I was gonna say they've all definitely improved. Like I rewatched the Sorcerer's Stone somewhat recently, and their acting is horrible. It's so bad. Like. I'm I'm just gonna skip ahead one movie real quick. Chamber of Secrets. Uh-huh. When Harry does Parcel Tongue, as a child, I wanted to crawl out of my skin like a snake. Um, if your acting makes the audience uncomfortable because it's so bad, yeah, yeah, it was it was painful, and and that was just one example of how Harry. I I don't know what's going on with Daniel Radcliffe's face. He keeps like doing this weird unintentional winking thing. It's like, I, I feel like he d- does not know what acting is like, and and the thing that's so interesting is that there are a ton of like absolute top tier British actors in these movies. Um, you just mentioned a bunch which are incredible, but we also get Gary Oldman, who's one of my favorite actors of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy. You know, there's like so many amazing actors. John Hurt. John Hurt. Alexander. Um, yeah, who's in this one? Um, I always forget his name. The guy who played Hagrid, he's great. Um, there's just it's like every adult. David is Tennant is in it at some point. Yeah, David Tennant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brendan uh, Gleeson, one of my favorite actors of all time. Oh yeah. As Mad Eye, Kenneth Branagh. Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they just went to these schools all over the country and were like, "Hey, you kind of look like the part, and you know, you don't have to be that talented. Just kind of do a line and whatever. It's fine. You'll you'll grow into it. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And then if you don't, then maybe we'll just replace you. I don't know. Yeah. Well, how many books had come out when this movie at came least out? Three. Do you know? And did they? Because I don't think we knew at the time how many books there would be, and therefore how many movies there would be. And I think I just had that thought, and maybe someone else had that thought, but I don't know how. I've never read that anywhere. I just that kind of popped into my head, like maybe that was a possibility. I mean, when the first movie came out, it wasn't the like mega franchise that it is now. It was just another. It was popular, like absolutely popular, but. It hadn't reached this level of eight movies, seven books, a theme park, all of that. Yeah. Defining a generation. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that's like a complaint I have in general is that I wish I loved having the movies growing up. I mean, I loved having the books growing up, but I do wish they had waited until all the books came out or until they had a better like roadmap for what was going to happen, because I feel like. J.K. Rowling at the time didn't even know exactly how things were going to end up, so they didn't know which pieces were the most important and should be in the movie. They were just kind of like, oh, well, we've got these three books. We'll just make these three movies, and who knows what happens later. And do we really want to repeat what Game of Thrones just did? (laughs) And I think they suffer from having all different directors. I know we were talking about Chris Columbus did too, but it jumps around so much. Yeah. I kind of like that because I think when Alfonso Cuaron took the third movie, he took it in a different direction. That's when it started to get darker. darker. I think that's where like Harry Potter thrived. Like I think it was better as a dark movie as opposed to like a fun loving like family movie. You got into there's a sense of danger here. Yeah, we know things are going to get dangerous, but the first two, you know, you're all right, so I'm jumping ahead, but you're in the forest and you're like Hey guys, we know there's this thing killing unicorns, but you're okay now. We didn't chase it off. We didn't catch it, but like you're you're fine now. And you're like, oh yeah, definitely, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of. Well, I think the books we reading them as children or as the same age as Harry, we were supposed to mature at the same rate. So the story got darker as we got older. Yeah, I don't know that I. I don't know. I see what you're saying. I think it could be a director thing, but I think it could also just be if they stuck by the tone of the books than if they'd had I think my biggest complaint about all the different directors is that I felt like each one felt like they needed to put their own like spin in there like this person I I can't remember who in which movies but you know suddenly Hagrid's hut is in like a different spot on the <laughs> landscape and it's a different hut and you're like huh when did uh why did okay but I feel like it's everyone needed to put their own stamp and I don't need that yeah, they absolutely did. The, same. the first movie, I think, was the most faithful, maybe because it had less material to work with. Although all of these movies are like two and a half hours long. Yeah. 
Like even I, the first one. Even so the first long. one. Yeah. I think of that as like light fair. And then I went to watch it and I realized how long it actually is. I was like, God damn. This is heavy fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I forgot how long the first one's. They're all really long. Yeah. yeah. And the first one's a lot of world building. building. Yep. Like introdu- introducing all of these things that we have no idea. So I feel like maybe this story is secondary to that even. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's similar to Lord of the Rings, where the Fellowship of the Ring, so much of that movie is us sort of understanding the scope and scale of Middle Earth because we're introduced through the Shire and that's small and it's a very limited, you know, field of view. And then and as things expand, we're like, oh, this is a huge world. But then by the time we get to the two towers, it's like we don't need to be told that Middle Earth is huge. We know it's sprawling. We know it's it's much more scarier and more adult than we're used to with just the Shire. So it's like that world building's been done, and now we can just focus on moving the story forward. Uh, so I think this is the, it's very similar in this franchise, is, um, that we're getting this world building. And it's interesting when you compare it to other huge franchises, too, because like I feel like Star Wars, if you look at the original three films didn't do world building which is a really like interesting style of filmmaking they just threw you into it and a lot of people criticize george lucas for that like that he didn't really tell a story the way you're supposed to tell a story uh with a new hope but i feel like it it makes for unconventional sci-fi where like you're not having your hand held you're just like boom you're in this different world and that's really cool i think um but this is like the opposite of that where it's like let's very much walk you through the differences between this world and the one that you're familiar with and it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of this movie it does getting used to that and while i think the story might be a little bit secondary to that i don't think that's a bad thing like it's still a fun movie to watch and if anything, like that sense of like wonder of like, for example, seeing Hogwarts for the first time, like that's a great moment. Agree. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Love so Hogwarts. Very magical. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was one of my uh, one of the scenes I was really looking forward to as well. Was seeing Hogwarts for the first time. Like, how is that castle going to look? Because I'm ape shit about castles. <laughs> <laughs> I will say too, like we already talked about the score very briefly but the score to me is is really what sold this movie as feeling magical like if any one thing got it really made me feel immersed in like this mysterious world of like there's something strange and unknowable around every corner but it's like it's fun and and charming and cozy at the same time i feel like the score is what encapsulated all of that for me and really like congealed it into something that is cohesive and makes it fun and makes me look back on it as like this you know fireplace feeling of like pleasantness when i think about this movie yeah no i couldn't agree more john williams killed it with the score but that's not a surprise (laughs) he didn't score all of the movies but those same like basic they kept the motifs. Yeah, yeah. Are still throughout, which is great. 
carried it through eight movies, so. That's interesting. I never thought about that. I don't pay as much attention to composers as you guys do, which I should. I just don't. You spell. just had your notepad <laughs> of things that were wrong out. Like, you're <laughs> I, but I probably was listening and thought it was pleasant as I was making my list. <laughs> yeah. This is great background music while I criticize this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, after Hagrid comes to eventually get Harry from the Dursleys, then we see like our first taste of the wizarding world when they go to um, Diagonally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him entering into... Leaky Cauldron, um, and just running into all the wizards, and instantly he discovers that he's somewhat famous. Yeah, I think in, in... one wizard instantly is like Harry Potter. Yeah, <laughs> and he and obviously Harry has lived under a under stairs his whole life up until this point. So this is he's used to being ignored. So it's kind of it, it's kind of a crazy um, disparity, especially for this character uh, walking into. Oh, I'm famous. And there's magic. And there's magic. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, and money. Yeah, and he's rich. <laughs> and he's all it, of a sudden like rich. Everything gets flipped on its head in an instant. I'm famous and I'm rich. Yeah, and I don't suck. And I don't have a terrible family with me. <laughs> so while they're shopping and whatever, Harry has to buy his first wand, and this is the first scene that I think really comes across like as magical. It's like really introduces you to the feeling of the wizarding world, I guess. It's a very empowering moment for this character. He's probably felt very helpless his whole life. And now he's like, I have this thing that can actually do magic. And I just did something with it. After spending like three hours with John Hurt. And then he's like, oh, hmm, curious. Mm, you know, so I should have done this from the beginning, maybe. It would have saved us a lot of time. I knew this would happen. He's lonely. He, he, he wants people in the shop. He's lonely. <laughs> this is why he gets tortured later. <laughs> oh, no. Spoiler alert. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, spoilers if you haven't done anything else with this series. Uh, I is love, that possible? He gets tortured. I love the idea that he's just picking the wrong wands for, like, Companions. hours. Yeah, just just so to not be alone. I would be so mad. <laughs> If it wasn't just magic and for the first time, I'd be so pissed. Sadie, that would get so old on me. Sadie's crying a little bit over how sad this is. It's okay. I'm just saying, like, it'd be cool to hang out with John Hurt, but not for that amount of time. That's a little much. When he knew the whole time. But that really is a great moment. That's, like, where it all begins. We know Henry. We know Harry. (laughs) Not Henry. Harry. We know Harry is a badass. I love Harry. I just want to say that I love Harry as a person and I know lots of people that think he's whiny or, you know, whatever, but I love him. So. And that's saying something because I feel like you don't like characters very often. That That's true. That can be very true. <laughs> or things. Or <laughs> I mean, no, I, I love Harry. Anyways. I think it's important that, um, I guess it is important in story building that, you know, it takes forever in there because, that's just like a build up to finding out that the other core was Voldemort's wand. Whoa! Spoiler! <laughs> so he literally says it. Oh, <laughs> I didn't remember that. Like, <laughs> yeah. This you year, just watched this today. I know. <laughs> it's a good thing I do a movie podcast. 
I do think this scene is some very heavy foreshadowing, though. More than a lot of other things that happen in in this movie. I mean, we get, you know, we get a bit of, like, Hagrid explaining uh, Harry's parents to him and, and stuff like that. We get a, a, a bit of exposition in that regard. But I feel like the scene where he is told that the wand is essentially related to his nemesis. I feel like it's really important because it's setting up this idea that Harry and uh, Voldemort... I said it. Come at me, bro. Uh, That Harry and Voldemort are connected in a way that is... It can't be severed. And that the darkness is within him and that that's a huge part of this franchise that I think as a kid I didn't necessarily understand was like going to be so important is that like there is darkness in Harry and his ability to overcome it is what makes him strong and brave and courageous um it's not that he doesn't you know it's all external all the bad is external and he's just can, you know, he's just stronger than that, and he, and he fights it. It's it's in him. And you saying that that scene is heavy-handed, it makes me wonder if that was one of the things that J.K. Rowling already knew. Because I think there are lots yeah. of things she didn't know, and therefore they didn't know when making the movie, but maybe that... I don't know how much she knew, like, the extent of how connected they are, but it seems like that was a fact she knew from the beginning and it was going to end with something to do with their wands and something to do with that. Yeah. It does seem like intentional foreshadowing. And I know JK Rowling is like famous for backtracking and saying, Oh, this character was a snake. A a snake. (laughs) Nagini was a woman. Yeah. Who is she? Nagini was a human. So I think she's kind of famous for going back and, saying, oh, this was this the whole time. But I do think you're right. I think it was intentional, the connection between Harry and Voldy. Oh, Voldy. (laughs) So I always think that the Gringotts is the coolest thing because this just introduces how, in the beginning, you know, Hagrid's like, you're only a fool to try and rob Gringotts. You know, and and how just crazy, like, defensive and how... uh, you know, whatever you want kept safe is going to be in Gringotts. Mm-hmm. And it's just really uh, another part of the world building that I think is super important here. That's really interesting because I don't feel like JK necessarily knew what she was going to do later with Gringotts. Like, I feel like they happened to go back to Gringotts, but it's like, it's not like, oh, the wand is connected to Voldemort. Like, that feels like very poignant. Mm-hmm. But Gringotts is almost like, you know, they she they do talk a lot about how it's like impregnable and all yeah. this stuff, but it's like kind of like Azkaban. Yeah, which that actually kind of surprises me how little Azkaban is featured later on. You have like one photo of it. Yeah, because like they, the, you know, a book is named after it. Like they talk about it a lot, but then like you don't see it. You've never. But ever they go back to Gringotts. There. They yeah. like they. There's a huge thing where they like infiltrate Gringotts later in the in the series. Like, Gringotts, the return to Gringotts, you could argue, is arbitrary. Because they could have just as likely gone, 
to a place like Azkaban, which is featured heavily in the story, but you never really see it. When you say return to Gringotts, do you mean when they go there the for the Horcrux? Yeah, yeah, Bank Heist. But they, they talk about why they do that and why Voldemort would choose to. Yeah, but... What? You just like Azkaban. No, we want I'm more just Azkaban. Saying, we want more. That's Azkaban. fine. Listen, <laughs> we I'm just think, say, I could just I could just picture uh, J.K. just sitting in her you know trillion dollar house thinking, hmm, yeah, we're gonna Ocean's Eleven this real quick. <laughs> That's what we're gonna do, <laughs> and and have a big breakout. Yeah, he's gonna ride a dragon out of there. The the thing, what I'm saying is that nothing before she wrote these books, these books weren't written. So she could have made up what happens. She could have written into the story that they have to go back to Azkaban for some reason. Just as likely as she could have written that they go back to Gringotts. She just happened to not. She happened to do one over the other. But I'm saying, like, Azkaban feels like a poignant feature of the whole franchise. Gringotts feels like a bank. And yet we get this big return. It's a bank for money. Azkaban is a bank for souls. Yeah, sure. That's good. I like that. So we like Gringotts. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about Gringotts. All right, fire it up. For y'all. What do you guys think about Harry being rich? What are your feelings about Harry being rich? Well, as JK later backtracks on, um, <laughs> uh, Harry's great-grandfather or something came up with this very uh, interesting potion. He was, a, he was a very famous potion maker. Okay. And I can't remember what it actually sold as, mm-hmm. but they made a billion dollars on that. Okay. So, so she gave so facto. She like retconned. Okay. She retconned that they ha- there was a the reason why. for yeah. all that money. Do you think that it's important to the plot that Harry was rich, or do you feel like in that first book where you're still getting introduced to all this stuff that JK just wanted it to be the ultimate wish fulfillment. And like he just gets everything. Right. He's kind he, of like a Mary Sue. Like, yeah, he's a Mary Sue. Yeah. Like he's he's the most famous, he's the most successful, he's the most skilled, and he's the most rich. Like it he just has to have everything. I think it's both. His parents are the most dead. <laughs> <laughs> they got dead. Deader than anyone else. His enemy's the most not named. Um, I think it's both. I think he, well, I think he needed to be able to get everything he needed for school. And it would be weird for Hagrid or like Dumbledore. I mean, he's certainly a favorite and we see favoritism throughout all the books and movies, but it would be a little much if they were also like, we're going to pay for all of your robes (laughs) and all of your books and all of your pets. And you know what I mean? Do you think that because, because Draco meets Harry when Draco met Harry, uh, in in Diagon Alley, in the book, not in the movie, but in the book, uh, do you think that it would have been better if Draco's family had offered, because Harry didn't have money, and then Harry would be, like, beholden to Draco. I'm, I'm doing crazy spin-offs here. And then Harry's uh, beholden to Draco financially, and then that complicates their relationship. 
You're writing fan fiction. I was just about to say that. I think I've read is, that. No, I'm just, <laughs> this um, is a new fanfic. I feel like this no, is good. No, I, I will. Uh, first of all, I don't think that they I'm, without gold, without yeah. knowing who he is, and he doesn't know it's Harry Potter in the robe shop, right? He doesn't know who he is. He's just talking to him like another kid. I don't think they would offer to. It, it'd be rare that they would offer to like lend another kid money. I think. And he, oh, no, if any like reason, money. it would be. Well, what if, if he knew if, it was Harry? If he knew it was Harry, Murder. maybe. But that's actually, I think, interesting. And I think we might be going ahead. I don't remember the order, but interesting that they don't have him meet in the robe shop in the movie. Because I do wonder they if he, like, or in the train. Like, how would the introduction have been? If it were just Harry and Draco alone and Draco knew who Harry was versus like Draco immediately insulting, you know, Ron right to his face. And it was just a different dynamic in the movie. Like could Harry have fallen in with Draco because he didn't know he was such a jerk? Maybe. I don't know exactly. I just think it might have been different. Well, also Draco saw Harry as like an opportunity. Right. He wanted to be friends with him or, you know, friends with him initially. Because Harry had get this fame. Yeah, he wanted... <laughs> he wanted Instagram likes. That's what yeah. he wanted. And real quick, acting. I think Tom Felton is so good as Draco. He's so shitty. Can we swear? We can swear. Yeah. Okay. I've been swearing a lot. I know, I know but I wasn't drunk. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think Tom Felton's great. And I'm pretty sure he originally auditioned to be Harry. I think I read that somewhere. Oh, really? I really... Should have done that. Um, no, I mean, but but I think he's good. I think he's, he's one perfect. of the best of the children. As Draco, yeah, I agree. A seasoned actor at that point. He was P. Green in The Borrowers. Anybody? That's in the next podcast. The next podcast <laughs> will be about The Borrower. No, I'm just <laughs> it's a lie. Oh, about Harry being rich. It Do we a, feel like it was just a... Yeah, you feel like there was a reason. You feel like there's anything beyond the, the concept of him being Mary Sue. You're saying it's a plot device to just push him through that process without obstacle i think i think it's that and i think it's also a little bit what you said be about it being a reward kind of like something good happening because again his parents are still dead so i don't know how much he actually cares about i think he's glad to have money but it doesn't like change his life the way you know he never lusts after it the way ron does speaking of draco Harry meets Draco on the Hogwarts Express. Yes. And also Ron and Hermione. Yes. I love the dynamic immediately with Ron and, and, and Harry. Um, you can tell they're like going to be very close friends. Couple of blue collar boys. I do I do like along. that scene in the in the compartment. Do we call it a compartment? The car. I do I think that they even though overall I feel like the trio is not great at acting. I agree in that first movie. I feel like they have moments that I really like. Like Rupert Grant has a, some moments where I'm like, that's really cute. I and that's very like Ron. Like, and when he had, like how he has the dirt on his, I don't know. I, I really like parts. I think Emma Watson's eyebrows should have been Oh my God. <laughs> she and Orlando Bloom went to the same school of acting. Movie. And it's just the eyebrow school. Yeah, no, I, I will say, even though the acting is bad i still find them charming i actually liked the casting i guess if you're not judging the acting but they definitely looked the part and there are part there are moments where they really like embody the character that they're playing it's interesting being less familiar with the books because i feel like 
I'm not comparing them to alternative characters. It's more like I'm just thinking, like, are they acting well in general? But that being said, like, I didn't really notice how uh, incongruous Hermione was with her character. Like, I feel like M. Watson does really good Hermione, and I've always thought that, like, over the course of the of the movies, she becomes, like, more and more fit to play that role. But when I read the book again, and I was like, oh, she's, like, buck-toothed, and, like, you know, she's not... I feel like Emma Watson was, like, a cute girl that turned into a pretty young woman, and, like, she, there was never anything, like, unappealing about Emma Watson. But then, like, and when I read the book, it's, like, there's this implication that she's, like, sort of, you know, doughy-looking or whatever... And I don't, I, I don't know, like, th- that wasn't wrong as I was watching it because I didn't know any better. And it, and it took, like, refamiliarizing myself with the books to be like, oh, well, that was kind of a weird casting choice, I feel like. Like, all they did was basically just make her hair look messy. And, like, that's, I was going to say, didn't she have a wig for the first couple movies, She had, like, maybe? big then... hair that looked like it wasn't combed. And I feel like that was the extent of them trying to make her they... look... They did Dirty. attempt to do like a teeth thing for her really? in the film, and then she just couldn't talk through it. Yeah. So uh, there was an attempt. It just it didn't work. Okay, I didn't know that. That's you know, actually really something I found out today. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. Um, I haven't known that for nineteen years. Honest. <laughs> so next time they do this, they need to walk around with fake teeth and contacts, and that needs to be the first test. Hey, kid, can you wear these fake teeth? If you can't, we're not casting. Yeah, I need to interject here real quick. Sadie is dying for this franchise to get a, TV a film remake. Oh, any, ki- any kind of any kind TV movie. Same, honestly. I'll take it, I yeah. love a series. Oh, yeah. I uh, mean, TV series would be great. And you when get you- classes every day, drums. <laughs> I'm doing a dance. I can't be seen, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, real quick, when you mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier, Imagine I feel like fix. part of the reason that trilogy was so good is they already had all the material, Yeah, which is, again, my, one of my complaints. Like, I understand why they started making the movies immediately. They're like, oh, we gotta, we gotta get in on this. It's happening now. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, it, it could be so much better. Well, yes, I, I agree that them knowing the end before going into Lord of the Rings was, it helped them make a better trilogy because they essentially filmed it all at once, which is that was genius. Um, but also, the Hobbit movies are are bad by comparison. So, and those came after, and we already had the Hobbit written. So, it's not necessarily indicative of you're gonna have a good movie just because the material already exists. But I do think it helps make it cohesive. And and to that point, just to use another example of something that was released serially and then was made into a film in one piece. Uh, I often think about it as V for Vendetta. Um, V for Vendetta was originally released as a graphic novel. It came out sequentially as individual issues uh, that were very short, and then it was put together as a graphic novel and then the graphic novel was adapted into a movie after it was finished. And I feel like if you read 
the graphic novel and then you read and then you watch the movie, the movie feels so much more put together. And I, I'm under the impression Alan Moore was like developing ideas as he was writing, as opposed to like having it all planned out. And the movie feels all planned out. And I feel like that's why the movie works really, really well. Hmm. Um, obviously that's a different franchise, but it's just to the point of knowing where you're going when you start. Um, a lot of, you know, movie uh, and TV show producers get asked, like, did you know, like lost, did you know how this was going to end when it started? And they say, Damon Lindelof says like, yes, this, we knew this was how the show was going to end. Um, but people think there's no way because the, they hate the ending um, and they think it makes no sense and it cheapens the experience. But I don't think that's true. Likewise, Breaking Bad, you know, like they knew exactly how the show was going to end. And I feel like they didn't waste any air. In, there's no dead air in the entirety of those five seasons of television. And I feel like that's like perfect. But with Harry Potter, we don't know. We don't know like with the films, how much was known beforehand we don't know how much was being made up like on the fly or like you said what they needed to emphasize as they were making this movie like if they were like oh that sounds really important and then like put a bunch of time on this one thing and then it doesn't end up being important and then it, it just feels you know janky once you get to the end of the movies so the sorting hat i really enjoy that it's not just a blanket oh, I, I can tell what you are like. This is where you're going. Harry can say, I don't want to go with that. So I'm not going to go with that. And the story has just like, okay, yeah, that's cool. We'll just do that. Yeah, and this is our first time in the Great Hall, too. Yes, and you get to experience the magicalness of the ceiling of the Great Hall for the first time because Hermione's already read a Hogwarts of History like 17 <laughs> times. So she can tell you exactly why that is the way that it is. That's also interesting with the sorting hat. I wonder how many times that's happened because I feel like that's another foreshadowing maybe a little bit that Harry isn't so black and white. Like he has yeah. light and dark yeah, within that's just him. And that's why that. the sorting hat's like, hmm, all right. Yeah. You go both because, ways, I see. Because Slytherin is kind of considered as the darker house, but it's not inherently evil. <laughs> Yeah, he says that really awkward sentence. There's never been a dark wizard that hasn't not been in Slytherin. He says like that, yeah, that really weird comment. Can we just what? say that Hogwarts is creating a systemic divide between <laughs> wizards? This we is, can. we just admit it? We no, can say this that. is legit. Like, I, I am upset by the way the houses are sorted. Slytherin, people have told me it's not, Slytherin's not evil. They're just. <laughs> Like, and they give, they list a bunch of stuff. It's like, okay, but clearly there's a trend. Like, statistically speaking, people who go into Slytherin are much more likely to be evil. I think what he says is there's never been a witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. Right. So clearly the actual line. Slytherin attracts bad. Like, Straight up. Like, that's one of the characteristics, basically. One of the characteristics of Slytherin is like, oh, and you, you're maybe evil. I just feel I'm... like whenever they're punishing a house, they, like, fence off Slytherin 
Like, yeah. you all are going to go... Like, in the last movie, I know, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but they basically, like, send them to somewhere by themselves. They put them in, they put them in the dungeon. Yeah, in the dungeon. Or, or they send them on the train back. So that's... It's one of the two. That is indicative of, if you look at history, a couple things. One, it reminds me a lot of Japanese internment camps in the U.S. during World War II, by association. Two, it feels a lot like Hitler Youth where these kids are being groomed, essentially, to become the Nazi party. And they have to remove them from the situation before it gets further down that road. So I feel like there are overt references between Slytherin and really bad things that have happened in history. Yeah, that's true. But do we think there's any good people in Slytherin? Like, what if Harry had been like, all right, I'm going to go to Slytherin then? Would Harry have then been evil? I don't know. I don't think everyone's... I think it's like a Venn diagram of the qualities of Slytherin often are the qualities of people that are evil or become evil. It's not so much are they evil or not. It's are evil people often ambitious and the other qualities that Slytherins are that I can't think of right now. And ambitious. <laughs> Clever. Evil. Ambitious. Evil. Awful people. <laughs> Wasn't Slughorn a Slytherin? He was the head of the house, I assume. And the head of house. Not great. Not a great house. guy. Not, but a great not a evil guy. Well, no. He he was clever and resourceful. Um, just kind of cowardly also. Yeah, he was just a giant just pussy shitty. bag. Just a shitty yeah. guy. Not an evil guy. <laughs> just a shitty guy. Oh, okay. So, I guess... Sometimes and lots of Slytherins that we don't shitty. even hear about too. So you know, they of, only a few that are name dropped, and only of the three houses we have. I mean, of the four houses, we have three that are like pretty decent people, yeah, and then we just the fourth one. We're just like, that's Lewiston. Yeah. Okay. Just don't go there. The bad <laughs> ones. Like it's just it. And wasn't Regulus? Sorry, wasn't he a Slytherin? He was. It's not just like. Here's, here's the thing. It's not as black and white as being like, oh, they're just evil. It's that you're also, like, there are direct parallels between Slytherin and, like, the neo-Nazi movement. And, you know, like, if you look at historical references, there's a precedent for, like, that being an ideological cesspool. Like, that's not good. Well, I think in this first book and first movie... Since it is kind of still, we're children. That's ve- it's, it's very. It's like it's a little bit like we're the good guys. We might yeah. be the bad guys. It's it's very like simple. It's juvenile. Then. It's it not. Feels, yeah. It right. Feels, it's not fleshed out the way you're getting to. I think that happens later. Yeah. Right. For sure. But in this first book, it's even more just like they're bad because we're we're following Harry, and Gryffindor is good, Slytherin is slab. And then the other two are whatever. Like, that is that is the way this book and movie are set up. I yeah, if we're seeing it through Harry's eyes, because everyone he's met from Slytherin is mean and yeah. racist. Yes. <laughs> and everyone he's met from Gryffindor is nice. Yes. So, yeah. And the movie does not care about the other two houses. Like, no. this movie does this not This movie care. doesn't. No. So, the book spends more time talking about Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, but they do not care. About telling their stories in this in this movie. Your point was Slytherin is a house of assholes, and I I agree. I think it's that too bad. 
I don't understand how a responsible adult would have come up with that. They wouldn't. And exactly. you know, you're you're calling for unity later on, I think in at the end of book four, and you know what you should have done? Abolish the house system. Abolish the house system. <laughs> okay. Uh moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another day. <laughs> in the podcast called Abolish the House. Um, we also are moving on to classes in the school. Yeah, so yeah. Harry's lucky because the two friends that he met on the train are also in Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> and now be. we get a taste of life at Hogwarts. Yum. Yeah, a literal so they get, taste. They get to go to like classes and stuff. They get to learn how to ride brooms where Neville pretty much should have died. Like yeah. that scene, he should have been dead. And he he just fell so far. So far. Mm-hmm. And he almost got impaled like four times. Yeah. And then Harry is automatically a, a amazing. A master. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Harry Sue, uh, and Harry he really Sue. is. He like, is. The, he's the epitome of Mary Sue. This this is a pretty good scene because you get the iconic line of "Give it here, Malfoy," and and then McGonagall looks out her window and she goes, "That's my new seeker. That's my gambling addiction." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we think McGonagall has a gambling addiction. She has a gambling I think addiction. One was awoken. <laughs> yeah, I I, <laughs> I think she saw Harry pull out of that dive for that remember all, and she said. I'm buying an MS2000 right now. I'm putting it on credit on the Hogwarts credit card. <laughs> and I'm not paying that. And she took he's going to win me a lot of money. Only. I was only gambling 20 galleons in a, uh, a match last year. I'm going up to 100. I love Harry. Uh, I'm really glad Harry's so good at flying. I think I'm really <laughs> happy for him. Um, because it's just so nice that he gets to be so good at something. Because it's... This is... Isn't this the first thing that he's really good at? No, at he's good at everything. No, but that's the thing. He's not... You. Many people complain that usually other people are holding him up or other people... Mm. It, I mean, not holding him up isn't holding him back, but Snape they are propping him up. He's not you know, Hermione's talented. the true brains and Ron... I don't know what the heck people claim Ron is. You mean like he's a, he's a he's prototype? Just, he's just there. Right, but... <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I, I just I just am so happy for Harry when he flies and it's just it's so exciting because he has been in a cupboard. He's had a horrible life. And then he, he gets is, to go to this great place and then he gets to be so good at flying. I would love flying. Yeah, I think I think, I think this is why it's exciting. <laughs> I feel like this is why everyone wants their Hogwarts letter. Because the minute he goes into the wizarding world, he is everything he could ever want to be that he wasn't. He has his glow up here in the Wizarding World yeah. because he's the youngest seeker in a century. And in the movie, they, they picture his dad as being a, a seeker, but he wasn't. Yeah, they throw that he in there. He was a chaser, which I like better because Harry can be his own person. See, this is why you're here for knowledge like this. Yeah, we wouldn't know this. No. We wouldn't no. know this. Why are we even talking about? And I don't think he's just good at everything because he constantly is it. He constantly doesn't get spells the first time. He's He's horrible at potions. Good because he has a Horcrux of Voldemort in him. (laughs) Could Voldemort even fly? Did Tom Riddle even play Quidditch? We're gonna agree doubtful. Voldemort literally can fly. I don't want to talk about that. He literally can fly. He literally can fly without a broomstick. Well, you in Quidditch you you need to have a broomstick. Thank you. Okay, well, maybe Harry has that uh, inherited ability, but the rest of it, he's held up. He gets a lot of help. And he I does. think it starts with okay. the Horcrux. 
This is first and foremost. This is a whole new world that he's bringing us around to. And you better not close your eyes because he's dropping some knowledge bombs here. But I'm talking about this scene where we're talking about flying class. And I'm saying that I'm happy for Harry that he was so good at flying. And I do feel like it's well, then let's put his number one talent. In well, what let's, he said. Let's, let's say this. Um, Voldemort would not have saved poor Neville's Remember All because Neville's a little nerd and helpless mm-hmm. at the time. And he hasn't had his hot Neville glow-up moment like like he does, and we all know it. So that is a hairy thing to do. Yeah, it is. But I think a lot of his talent that he has uh, comes from a lot of help from the Horcruxes. So you think he's the Daywalker? He's Blade. He yeah, has he's all the Blade. powers of the vampires. He is Wesley Snipes. And none of the weaknesses. Yes. And he went to jail for tax. I think we covered flying. <laughs> I don't know about Chaw, but <laughs> I think we did, and I think it's okay that you're so happy that Harry can fly. I really am. And then they go to safe class, and he's a giant dick. Oh. And they have no Harry's just like trying to take notes and write stuff down, and then Sam's like, "Oh, we have a celebrity." That was a nice Snape impression. Uh, maybe it was. Um, but you don't have the... This is one of the few things in the story that you don't have background info on. You're just like, why is Snape being such a dick? That's true. I think we take for granted all the background information that we know from reading the books. Mm. Because this movie definitely doesn't give you all the little... Yeah, if, if you were just a movie watcher, you'd be like, wow, he's really being singled out. We should talk to HR. Like this is outrageous. <laughs> is there is there a complaint we can file somewhere? Because Snape is clearly like singling Harry out, and you don't know that you know he hated the fuck out of James. I would love to file a complaint against Snape. I don't like Snape. I don't think there's any excuse for his behavior. Uh, he's a grown ass man. Whether he's you know sixty as Alan Rickman seemed to be, or actually in his thirties like he's supposed to be. Uh, I think it's bullshit, and I really hate it. So that scene made me angry. I think we... That's okay. I think we're supposed to hate him. <laughs> that's, that's just Alan Rickman flexing on you without realizing. Well, I think we're supposed to obviously not like him, but he's kind of the everyday villain. He's not the Voldemort, the ultimate. He's kind of like the one problem that Harry constantly has at Hogwarts. hmm I think it's like a thorn in his side, but then sometimes Snape is there to actually help him without... Yeah, but he doesn't always realize that. No, you don't notice it until after. It's just like the worst kind of help. (laughs) (laughs) Also, while we're going through like classes and stuff, we get to get a little taste of like Hermione's personality, how kind of a know-it-all she can be. And then there's the part where she overhears Ron and Harry talking talking shit about her mad shit (laughs) like not a friend type shit and honestly she forgave them very fast i would hold on to that forever (laughs) so hermione goes and cries in the bathroom that's her first mistake i've always loved that scene i've always tried i've always quoted that you know thought you ought to know but no one ever gets it maybe i just do it bad i I thought that everybody does that well that's why we're dating (laughs) <laughs> together That's why. with your powers combined 
Some people know that it's <laughs> I thought this was a weird choice when Hermione explains Ron and Harry being in the bathroom and defeating the troll and why they're there. And she says that she thought she could handle it and they just came to like help her. I wonder why she didn't just tell them like I was alone in the bathroom crying and they came and saved me. That would have been a better story for the boys. I just don't get why she didn't tell, I guess, the truth. No, I think I know why. Because she's feeling petty about them talking shit about her. So she's not trying to give them more points than they deserve. So she's going to make them look a little bit worse. Well, I think they were heroic. told they were told not to go in that area, right? So maybe she thought that it would only sound realistic if she intentionally went to that area. Because she, she's Hermione. She wouldn't, like, just disobey a rule just to go cry in that bathroom. You know what I mean? I don't like that scene because of the boogers. I think they're really gross. I hate that. Troll I hate boogies. that the troll boogers on his wand. He cleans off on his own robes. It's yeah, horrible. It's, like, dude, what are you doing? That's so you know. Unhygiene. You know There's what? A troll I right bet that's Daniel Radcliffe. I bet no, he just did troll, that. There's a sink right there. <laughs> Bailey, you're a wizard. You're a wizard here. <laughs> but a uh, great scene. I think it's a big turning point in how they start to trust each other as a trio, and uh, they really know how to work together. That is, that's like the moment that they become a unit. Yeah. Because before that point, they're all sort of friends of convenience. They found each other on the, on the cart or whatever. Beforehand, they happen to all sort of fall in with each other. But then the, the moment that like galvanizes their friendship is when they have to fight a troll together. Let's talk about the broom. Let's talk about the broom. I really like this part. It's Let's talk funny. About the elephant and the broom. <laughs> <laughs> so McGonagall, obviously playing some favorites here. And when I was a kid, I didn't even notice this as being not okay. But she just like, oh, here's a here's a great broom, Harry. Even though you're rich, here's a broom on the school's tab. No big deal. It comes in. Hedwig drops it. It's in the Great Hall. It's at, you know, breakfast. And it's obviously a broom. And then some <laughs> child, some poor idiot human boy, says, what's that? <laughs> As if it could be anything but a broom. <laughs> what is that broom-shaped package? He's the audience. He's, he's us. He's us, who didn't <laughs> know what a broom is. Except even we knew. And isn't there some kind of rule that's being broken First years are not allowed to have a broom. That's what I thought. But again, it's Harry Potter, so he's <laughs> going to have a broom. Yeah, the exceptionalism on display for Harry Potter is uh, not here. Well, that also makes it interesting why the the movie chose to have it be so public. Brazen. Whereas in the book, it is kind of a secret. Like, she just wants him to have the broom because she wants them to do well. And I feel like it's more about the Quidditch team than it is about Harry in that regard. Like, she acknowledges that Harry's really good, and she's like, oh, I need you on my team. And Here's what it's more to. about. Her bank account. She's <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot about the game. <laughs> she's fucking hard. I feel like the, the thing that is frustrating about this is, and this, for me, comes up again and again throughout this, this series, is Harry Potter is, like, the richest kid in school. Why? No one needs to buy him that. Like, look, right next to him is Ron, one of the poorest kids in school. And Harry is handed things 
for the entirety of his time. Well, he just said first years aren't supposed to have a broom. I know. He's not just going to traipse off to Hogsmeade and buy his own broom. I'm just saying, like... I think your bigger point is that Harry's a dick when it comes to money it to really, his best friend. It's like he doesn't... <laughs> and maybe it's because he literally forgets he has it. Because, like, the I feel like the books forget that he has it. Like, at a certain point, it feels like they're not keeping track of the fact that he's, like... Secret billionaire. Loaded. Yeah, like the I feel like there are definitely times where it feels like money could have solved the problem and like no one thinks of it. Like I, I don't know. I do think I, there are times he could help, but I also think Ron is very proud. Right. And I think that and there are times we can talk about that. It's in it's in a, a future movie and book. I have an example, but we can get to that later. I thought you were gonna go on. Fiction, real quick. No, it, it really happened. It really happened. <laughs> this is the first time we see Quidditch. <laughs> yeah. Which actually, there's something in this Quidditch match that I want to address, and that is the CGI. Oh boy. It is so it's bad. Ugly. <laughs> And that is one of the things that aged the worst for this movie. The CG is not good. It's not good. And it is more apparent in the Quidditch match than it is at any other time in the movie. Quidditch match is horrible. Looks horrible. Centaur. Horrible. Troll. Horrible. (laughs) Neville on the broom with a remember all. I feel like that. Rubber Neville. Oh, that was bad too. (laughs) Yeah, the ragdoll. Yeah. Yeah. Really bad. But the Quidditch match. Truly despicable. I and just remember being so excited about that. Mm. Like I wanted to see what Quidditch looks like. Yeah, he really shows the the fantasy Quidditch league owners why they should have picked him for their their spot on their Quidditch team. And uh, really, <laughs> I mean, he really made Medallions a lot of money today. His debut as the youngest seeker. Another, like. Perfect. Perfect, Mary exciting Sue thing moment. for yeah, yeah for Mary Harry. Sue. I remember reading something about why J.K. made Quidditch and like how unbalanced it is. She was just she had a boyfriend who was just super into sports, and she thought it was stupid. So then she just made this game, and it was really unbalanced and stupid. And that's really the whole point because she just was being so petty. Quidditch so is basically Quidditch is a parody of sports. Yeah, that's so interesting because like. Why would you make your protagonist, you know, uh, a hero of a thing that you think is stupid? Mm. Well, she might come back on that in about 10 years and say that she thought he was stupid the whole time. I feel like this is the one thing Harry is always good at. It's the one thing Harry knows that he can do. He's always good at flying. He's always good at being a seeker. Sometimes he's good at magic. Sometimes he's good at other classes. But most consistently, flying is his... Thing that he loves and that he's good at. And with that, I mean, you've I, been told no. I needed that silence. <laughs> it's critical. Um, after Quidditch, it kind of goes into the like Christmas break holiday. Love. I actually do have a question. Yeah. About Christmas at Hogwarts. Yeah. This isn't necessarily just about the movie, but we have an expert for this year, so you're gonna ask. So. My question, witchcraft, historically, has been antithetical to Christianity. 
But the story of Harry Potter does not seem to carry on with that tradition. Because apparently these Wiccan students, or whatever they are, celebrate Christianity. Uh, there's a Christmas tree. They're celebrating Christmas. Uh, so unless they've bastardized the religion and it's just a, you know, the way that it is for us agnostic atheist folks, semi-religious, the way, you know, it's been commercialized now, is it the same thing for them? Or is there no contradiction of belief systems? Yet? I don't think it's addressed I don't ever directly. Remember. I do feel like it is kind of what you're saying. Like, I think it's just removed from the religious part. It's just... It seemed, it seemed kind of like a plot device. Like, it's just like another themed episode of a show. Yeah. They don't really address it. They, they never go to church or right. sing hymns or whatever. There's no uh, class about it. There's mm-hmm. none offered about it. They just kind of have Christmas and here's some presents. But magic in their world also, I don't feel, is rooted in religion. They don't. They never talk about it as if it's a religion. Right. They're, it they're seems like learning it as a... To them, magic is like a science. Traditionally, witchcraft is considered, like, anti-Christian. You know, it's, it's, it's considered a work of the devil and all this stuff. And even the books have been burned and banned for that reason. The Harry Potter series. So, if it's being interpreted in the real world as, as witchcraft, as in, like, malicious intent by Christian peoples, but the book has Christmas in it. Feels a little ironic. Yeah. I do think it's just like a thing they celebrate and maybe they don't consider the religious aspect of it, but because a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, but some of them also live in the muggle world. So I'm sure they bring certain traditions from there. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know for sure. I don't think she like And I think in terms of real life, I feel like groups that don't like the books just hate any instance of witchcraft, whether it includes any instance of Christmas or not. I think it's just, if there's magic mentioned, they don't like it. Do you think we can interpret JK's intentions, though? Do you think that there's enough there for us to know what she wanted? Or are we left to our own devices? I don't think she knew what she wanted. Again, I feel like... I'm not saying she didn't ever know what she was doing, but I feel like very little. There were only a few key things that were truly mapped out. And I think a lot of it she never thought about, which is partly why I feel like she's now saying, oh, this was that and this was that. Because, I mean, wasn't she... She was young. Like, this was like her first... Yeah, she was young. I feel like so much of this is kind of the beginning for her the same way. And that's also why the books progress with like immaturity. And I mean, there's very, very vague instances where anything um, Bible Christianity related things are mentioned. Like the only thing I can even think about is like Harry's parents' tombstone have two um, quotes on them from the Bible. So like, Mm. Um, sure there's some wizards in the world that practice some form of religion but they do celebrate Christmas and Easter but so, yeah, take that what you will it seems like in this world that the idea of witchcraft is not one based on 
the worship of any sort of deity. It's not like magic is just a physical yep. thing in the world. It's like science and it has nothing to do with the belief system. Right. Which is unique. I mean that that's not usually the way that we're taught to think about witchcraft. Very progressive of them. It's 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 almost like an agnostic or atheistic approach to or secular approach, I should say, to the idea of something that's traditionally very closely tied to religion. I think that's very interesting, and I don't know if it is intentional. It feels almost like an arbitrary choice. Like, J.K. Rowling didn't care enough to define that, and we're just left to think, like, she didn't care enough, so we don't need to care. But it, I think it's an interesting question, just because of, like, the history of witchcraft. Yeah, it is. It's definitely a question worth, worth asking, because it's never answered. Yeah. Also, Harry gets a present on Christmas. Mm. Is, is it one of his first presents? Like, real presents? Yeah, well, he gets, a, I think, a sweater from the Weasleys. Yeah. And then he gets the Cloak of Invisibility. A better sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets an invisibility cloak, and that is very important. That's, that's way more important than this movie implies. Yes. This yeah. movie is like, that's like a bobble. Like, it's fun. It allows him to do some sneaky things. This is very fun. Hijinks ensue. Later on, it's like, oh, that's one of three god pieces. Because I think... Equipment. I would say maybe she didn't even know. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, who or knows? Or she didn't want to tell yet. Mm-hmm. So they, so she couldn't... I think there were things she knew that she didn't share and tried to imply what yeah. things to highlight. But yeah, I yeah, it, I, it yeah. very... Or she didn't want us to know. I so many possibilities. I would be a lot more impressed if she did know that from this point. I and she made it seem so unimportant. And then it was like... I wouldn't be surprised if she did know. From the beginning, because she knew what Alan Rickman and, and Snape's character was going to be, so she told them from the very beginning, like, this is how you need to play his character. No one else knows this, but you and me. Do it like this. Yeah, well, I think that it's safe to say she had some things planned ahead and some things that she retroactively made important. So I don't know if that's an indication, but it certainly is an indication that she had purpose with some of her like plot devices so it's possible that she knew i think that makes it interesting for future remakes because are they going to you know you know will they choose to highlight it more or are they going to downplay it because Hen- henry if i do that one more time oh my God. harry <laughs> his name's <laughs> harry potter do you like him you don't even remember his name. is that a fanfic um <laughs> Henry, Henry Paul. My, my, my <laughs> mom's Draco dog's name crossover. is Henry, so I'm saying Henry millions of times every day. Um, oh, Harry's a kid, so to him, it's just a cool, it's sure, just yeah. a cool thing. Yeah, he doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know the significance, and yeah. neither do we. And Dumbledore does, but as always, does not share. Yeah, it it was sent <laughs> to him by Dumbledore. I don't think he knows that, though. No, No, there was no name signed on it. It was just a very exquisite handwriting. And he uses the invisibility cloak while he's in Hogwarts by himself and people are away for the holidays. And that's when he kind of eavesdrops on Professor Quirrell and Snape. And he thinks he overhears a conversation that, like, implicates Snape in some kind of evil doing. (laughs) Did they suspect anything from Quirrell yet? No. 
Up you in, don't until the very end. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Because up until the end, he's just like a stuttering, like meek. You wonder person. how he got the job. So Harry coming upon him and Snape is a big like question mark. Yeah. You obviously start to think, oh, it's obviously Snape who is going to kill me this year. <laughs> and then we have a really good moment with Harry. I think this is afterwards. With Harry and Dumbledore and oh, the with mirror. the mirror of the rise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, this is actually really sad. A really sad scene, I feel like, because all Harry wants is his family. Like he doesn't care about everything else. He's rich. He's talented. Um, he's super cool in school, I guess, because he's, you know, the first, first year um, on the Quidditch team in a hundred years. Um, and all he wants is his family, and. Then you see Dumbledore come in and is like, you have the, another iconic line from Dumbledore is that it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Yeah, because yeah, Harry's been visiting a mirror like three times. Yeah. yeah. And Dumbledore's like, you gotta, you gotta. And doesn't Dumbledore say that all he sees in the mirror is soft? Is that, that might be at the end of the movie, but yeah. that's another thing of how mysterious Dumbledore is. Yeah, and it's then, clear, and, dude. You, you're not thinking about. Clean socks. And, uh, and like, especially right now thinking about it, because I haven't thought about this moment specifically now knowing, like, everything about Dumbledore's life makes it even more horrific because I can only imagine what's actually... actually doesn't he Probably share... his sister. Does he his, ever... His sister or Grindelwald, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Both yeah. Of them. yeah. I, I thought he shared maybe later on, but I'm... This is also a great moment Probably. because it establishes... Dumbledore and Harry's relationship as something more than just headmaster and student. Like, they start to bond a little bit more, and he becomes... I mean, he doesn't become more of his mentor yet, but eventually he does. And this is one of those... This is that first moment. Yeah, exactly. It feels like the moment at which Harry's sort of, like, perpetual trust for Dumbledore is born. Um, Because he's a distant figure up until that point. And he he sort of maintains that even after this. Um, But this is at least a moment where, even in this brief period where Harry spends direct time with Dumbledore, he's getting, like, a very uh, confident belief in Dumbledore as, like, a mentor and a good person and all that stuff. And it's big because his entire life he's been afraid of authority. Like, he grew up under Vernon and Petunia, and they just beat the shit out of that poor kid. And and Snape, his first day, is just ridiculing the shit out of him. He's like, I have no idea why. And this is the first time, other than McGonagall, where an authority figure is actually understanding, listening, and giving him the time of day to talk back to them and bounce ideas off them. So I think it's a big moment for his empowerment as a character. It's so Hogwarts of them to just be like, Send the, send the first years in the forest. And in the book, I think it's... Doesn't Neville go with them? And then in the yes. movie, it's Draco. Yeah. Which is interesting. Are they just trying to show how cowardly Draco is? <clears throat> yes, maybe. Or maybe they just didn't have enough scenes with Draco and they wanted him mm. to be more involved. Yeah, they are like, we need more Felton Tom Felton. Well, after the Forbidden Forest, then there's that scene that you like with Neville. With him standing up to Hermione and... Hermione just dropping him. He has this moment of like, 
bravery and it's just immediately shut down. <laughs> but it is rewarded, ultimately. It is for standing up to your friends. Yep. He is a Gryffindor, so. Yeah, so he gets points. Yeah. So they cook the books at the yeah. end of the year. They literally year. cook the books for Gryffindor. And, and what they're they're sneaking out, and he doesn't want them to get in trouble because he doesn't want to lose more lose. house points, right? And mm-hmm. they're going to try to get to the generic chamber number one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it on the third floor? I think it's on the third floor corridor. Oh, I thought they went down, down. Yeah, down. I was under the impression they were going down too. Well, but that's just because because they go... you know they they get into that door in, into the little thing where Fluffy is and then there's a trap door that he's sitting on top of mm. and then you go down. Yeah. But I think I it was on the third floor. Wizard chess. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about wizard chess. Okay. This was a really cool uh, scene to see actually uh, fleshed out in movie form I thought because I, I remember reading it and thinking wow how are they going to do that? But I, I literally you could say about like 20 scenes in this this whole thing just like um, everything else but I thought it was um, it was really important to show uh, to get what they want to get where they want you have to make sacrifices sometimes and for the good of the group they are all willing to do that and Ron is the one who takes the fall here yeah, and this, is also the mastermind this is a time for Ron to shine his one shining moment a little bit of a rhyme there I do feel like their acting is bad in this part. <laughs> Probably the CGI um, <laughs> is bad in this part, too. <laughs> Actually, uh, honestly, I will say the chess set looks really cool. It does. I Probably a, a lot kid, of it's practical. Yeah, right? it is. I remember as a kid, there is CG, but I remember as a kid thinking, like, the design of that chess set was... But what I mean is, uh, for the CG, is when they have to, like, and, like drop Ron, or they have to destroy a, a chess piece, it's probably too bad. I didn't think it was. But I haven't seen it today, It's so. Well, it's better than the rest Quidditch. of it. And Fluffy. Yeah, Fluffy's real ugly. I really like the flying use, keys. Like, I they, also like the flying keys. That's just a, use, I love that band. Did they just use PS1 graphics on this whole like CGI thing? Because it kind of felt like it. That's exactly Pretty what it looks much. like. But let's go back to the keys. Love the keys. That's all. That's all we want to say. Nice. It's oh. a really like peaceful time. You mean before they activate? Yeah, and they're just all. It's up so there. magical. It's like a. It's like the the, the magic in a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> uh, it's it's like a it's like a, a mobile, like a huge magical yeah. mobile. Mm-hmm. I like it. And then and Professor Sprouts, the Devil snare. Yeah, the Devil snare. I thought that was cool too. It didn't oh. really look that good, but. It was they, doesn't, they did their best. Doesn't Hermione, isn't she the one to say, realize what it is? So yeah. That's why I feel like it was okay they got rid of the potions test because I feel like that one kind of became her puzzle mm-hmm. that she figured out where she was like, oh, just don't struggle. And then if, and yeah. they fall down again. Of course, they just fall struggles. all the way down through that building. Well, they fall down up to the third floor. Listen, that building is all topsy-turvy. We don't know. I need to see a map of the Hogwarts. The stairs do rearrange themselves. I don't feel like looking at a map is valuable. <laughs> all right, so we got the keys, we got the devil's snare, and the wizard's chest. Is that it? Those three? The third floor corridor, known Amazing. as the Forbidden Corridor in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, and then we get to the end and the big reveal. 
Oh, Professor Quirrell. Has Voldemort growing out of his head. Yeah. Oh, scary. You? Not you. It's supposed to be Snape. That's not Ray Fiennes yet, right? No. That's a different actor's voice playing Voldemort's face. I guess I didn't think about the voice. <laughs> I believe it is. I believe they had a different, It doesn't sound like Ray Fiennes. I don't think they had a really good idea yet of what they wanted Voldemort to look like. Yeah, I think, yeah. Because we see, obviously, in the Forbidden Forest, like I was saying before, we get a first glimpse, and it... When he's this? Yeah, and it's weird, because he's this thing, and he looks Sunderman. different, and then we see him here, and he's like, just growing off of someone's head. Like, he look, yeah. just has a weird-looking face, basically. Yeah. Like a snake, similar to, like, a snake. Yeah. And I think they tried to maintain the snake imagery throughout the entire... Because, you know, he, he's closely associated with snakes. He has Nagini... He speaks Parsonsong. He uh, Slytherin seems to be a snake place, um, snake house, um, <laughs> and uh, the, I feel like they they definitely kind of keep that once we get like you know boss mode Voldemort. He's got no nose. He's very pale. He looks scaly, sharp teeth, and he kind of hisses when he talks. So they. They maintained that, I would say. But I, they, he's definitely, like, primordial at this point. Like, yeah. we ain't knowing what he gonna be at this point. Yeah, it's gross. And Quirrell is, has been a big dick faking his stutter this whole movie. Can anything be more villainous? <laughs> yeah, he just turns into Tommy Tough Guy. How untrustworthy is that? <laughs> Poor Quirrell. I, and then I, we see the mirror again. Yep. Yep. Mirror of Arist. Um, and Harry sees that he has the stone. Which, this is an interesting moment because the mirror gives him the stone, correct? It does. Um, because he pretty cool. only wants to take the stone to... For good. For good. Yeah. So Quirrell and Voldemort can't use it. Right. Because he had honorable intentions. Right. Yeah, once again, they're thwarted by how good of a guy Harry is. Yeah, Harry Sue. Uh, the stone apparates in his pocket. <laughs> Let's say that. And, um, and Quirrell and Voldemort are, like, unaware of that happening because they he lies to them. He tells them where... He won the world like a liar, like a liar would do, and um, yeah, he tells them what Ron saw, yeah. doesn't he? He just says what Ron said, yeah, yeah, um, which is what you know the average boy probably would see when they're looking at. What was it like? It was being head boy and winning the Quidditch yeah. Cup. Yeah, his family yeah. is cheering, and yeah. he's normal, the best. You know, basic, yeah, basic, <laughs> um, and then uh he finds out that he is actually basically a walking um, biological weapon against Voldemort's ilk because Quirrell touches him. And he crumbles. And he starts crumbling. He turns mummified. And then Harry turns out he has a taste for murder. Little bit just kills Quirrell a little bit. <laughs> Pretty badass. Just murders him like a tad. Harry's like, oh, this is how never, it is? Mm. It's never really brought up that he's a murderer, but it's okay, because it's like, uh, you know what? You just saved the world a little bit. Arguably, self-defense. 
um, probably inarguably traumatic, but we don't see his therapy after that, so I don't know. I would need probably a lot of therapy, just like the moment I stepped into the wizarding world, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after living, after living point. in a cupboard, again, this is why when people are like, Harry's whiny, I'm like, um, Harry lived in a cupboard. Literally an abused child. Yes. So and I'm going to, sorry, he's whiny. Like, he I'm going to go to therapy for that. Yeah, yeah, no therapy. They don't He, like, therapy. got through it on his own. Yeah. Not that, I'm not saying it's weak to go to therapy. It isn't. Go to therapy if you need it. Just be responsible adults here. But, but Vernon wasn't going to pay for that for him. Yeah, yeah, no. Exactly. Not that he needed to because they have health care. And, and they don't even have anyway, normal people. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway. Um, you probably wouldn't have driven him to his uh-uh. sessions. It is, you can say that much. Um, <laughs> so at the end, we we see that Voldemort. It appeared that Voldemort maybe was was hurt or killed when Quirrell died and turned into a pile of ash, but he's not dead. And then he pulls a, a Superman through Harry Potter's stomach. Uh, Harry Potter makes the most embarrassing face in the history of mankind. <laughs> And uh, falls unconscious. And then wakes up in the infirmary. Yep. And he will wake up in the infirmary many more times. <laughs> that's like, the, that's his favorite his thing life. to do. Yeah. yeah. He wakes up with Gandalf. Yeah, Gandalf's there. <laughs> the crossover. Can we stop crossing? <laughs> Lord of the, There will be a Lord of the Rings pod eventually. And then he and Draco make out, finally. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Sadie this loves. is the content we've all been waiting for. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, he's won. Harry's won. His yes. first fight. He's completed his hero's journey. His hero's journey, part one oh, of wow. seven. Um, and uh, Gandalf basically just says, you know. Dumbledore. The correct Dumbledore. He, he fills in some gaps, but Dumbledore likes his secrets and there's a lot that he does not explain at this moment that we don't really know he's not explaining it until much later on when we're like oh you were privy to a whole world <laughs> and you weren't telling us and again i am inclined to ask how much was left out because he's secretive or because she wasn't sure you know she didn't know even all like the extent yeah, I mean, arguably, she didn't know uh, what she was doing with Snape yet. She just knew that she wanted him to be a... Well, she knew. She knew, about, I think she knew about Snape, because he was saying she told Alan Rickman, like, how it was going to go. Oh, she told I think I she think. knew about Horcruxes, but I'm not convinced she knew about the Hallows the whole time. The Hallows feels like it was thrown in. Like, not that it's weak, but it, it definitely feels like... In the movies, it does. She did yeah. not need that. In the books, it feels like a nice, like, diversion for, like, you know Voldemort's going to go after those things. Yeah. So, Harry, you need to take out the other thing that actually matters. Yeah. I'm a prize. It's yeah, a, I think it's... It's the, a fetch quest. Yeah. It's, it's the opportunity for Harry, because since Dumbledore's not there anymore, he has to decide which direction to go in, and he has to do what he thinks Dumbledore would tell him to do, and, like, trust his gut, and... Follow Hallows or Horcruxes. But that's a later, later thing. So we get one more movie after this with the right Dumbledore, right? And then 
we get the bad Dumbledore. I don't think he's a bad Dumbledore. He's more uh, like a Dumbledore. Listen. <laughs> he's really waiting to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so my beef, well, just real quick. I prefer the original Dumbledore because I feel like his demeanor is so much more true to the Dumbledore that I always pictured. I feel like the new Dumbledore is very loud and he blatantly didn't read the books. The actor was like, no, I haven't read any of the books. I'm not going to worry about reading any of the books. I have a problem with that. You mean to say you uh, have a problem with screaming in Harry's face if you put his name in the, in the I absolutely fire? have a problem with that. And when we get to that podcast, I'm going to talk about that for like 25 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, we can In fact, half the episode will be focused on that exact part. What if we don't invite you to that episode? <laughs> I'll come back for that. I will come through the window She'll for that. She'll break into this one. I will. And and true. I, I can't be that mad because the actor did pass away. So it's not like they were like, we're getting rid of that Dumbledore and getting this other movie with that. I, I just really liked that Dumbledore. And even though he did feel quite old, whereas I feel like Dumbledore, even though he might look quite old, is supposed to feel kind of spry. Um, I just loved this one. I felt like he had such a good twinkle. He, I, I just really liked him. I think this is a good one for early um film Dumbledore because you feel so wholesome with him but then in, in later films later books there's a the side that you don't know what he's telling you so I like the other one because he, he you just feel like hmm he's a little sly about everything he's a little quicker he's a little this one just feels so good and wholesome and just like the perfect embodiment of the all-knowing mentor yeah, I don't like it when it breaks that and he becomes more, like, humanized with his own problems and, like, a sister. It's like... <laughs> Can you imagine Dumbledore That's having a sister? I feel like, if anything, I would have liked a mixture of both. I, I, I felt like there was chemistry, too. Like, it felt like a real connection. And the new Dumbledore does... I never feel that. He feels to me always just out of place. Yeah. And, I liked having Dumbledore on, like, a pedestal. This, like, untouchable, like, all-knowing, all-good thing. But it's better for his character to go the route he went. I just didn't personally prefer that. It was it, rough. Michael Gambon, is that his name? Yeah, Gambon. Gambon. I think that, for, like, for personal preferences, I definitely think that the first Dumbledore had the confidence that was that was really good. Actually, I think Andrew summed it up really well. He, he comes off as an infallible mentor in the first movie. And later on, the new actor... I feel like we're seeing a, a troubled, failing, self-doubting man. And I do think that makes sense. Because that, that is the Dumbledore that we're getting in those books, too. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I, I actually like seeing the dorker side of, uh, of Dumbledore. Um, but I don't... There are still things about that performance that strike me as incongruous. I don't think Dumbledore should get dark until much later. I feel like he immediately acts like right. he's really unhinged and emotional. 
And he should 100% still be stoic. Yeah. And... I think he was always stoic, even to the very end. And and in the movies, he feels like he's losing his mind. Right. And in the the book, I I think that's when he does raise his voice, it's always a point that he raised, you know, like, Harry's always like, he's never seen Dumbledore raise his voice, or he's never seen Dumbledore be that upset. Like, it's very... When it happens, like, the whole room stops. Right. But, like, in the movies, it's like, that's just Dumbledore. <laughs> just running just around. Just Dumbledore screaming at the kids again. <laughs> For some reason, talking about dark Dumbledore is getting me in my feelings about that one scene where they go into the cave with the water. That's a great scene. It's so good, and I love that so much, but that's in a different movie. That actually might be my favorite scene of that movie. Very good. But yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to Yeah, that. we'll get to that. That's eventually. a really good scene. So beautiful. By the end of this conversation with Dumbledore, he tells Harry, the whole school knows what happened since it's obviously a complete secret. I I kinda like the lighthearted moments like that, um, along with like the seriousness of like talking about Lily's sacrifice and um that's all I have to say about that. Oh yeah, the way he the way he talks about the jelly bean flavor is perfect. Mm. That Dumbledore is so good. He does that really well. He eats, yeah, he eats yes. one. He's like, a, he's trying to get a certain flavor. I, I can't remember what he says his favorite is. But then, yeah, he eats it. And then he says, relax, earwax. And it's just so quiet and adorable. And I'm like, that's, that's it. Anyone who, You're one of us. You get earwax too. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't, doesn't know that Dumbledore is also Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator. Uh, which is really the only other thing I've seen that guy in that I can recall. Uh, but he was also very uh, charismatic and likable in that movie. Uh, I feel like he does that character really well. Like a sagely parental father type figure who is just like an ideal mentor. I so wish he had made it for all the... Well, Sadie, he wasn't. <laughs> yep. But uh, he does come back to cook the books for the House Cup yep. in Gryffindor's favor. Yeah, let's talk about the favoritism here. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There's some heavy favoritism in this. And uh, at the time, I just laughed about it and thought it was amazing. And now I'm just like, no, it's not fucked up. I know. As a kid reading the book, I'm like, yeah, Gryffindor wins. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I actually was never Gryffindor in my heart. So watching that scene always felt wrong to me but i was i always associated more with hufflepuffs maybe i just thought it was a little bit can we all say what house we would be in yeah we might as well i mean we're talking about harry potter yeah we might as well do this that. is why people listen yeah what house are you in chelsea gryffindor for sure okay right okay um so you go ahead I want to be Slytherin always, but I hardly ever actually get it on a quiz. I try really hard. <laughs> well, it's but because when it's they very keep infrequent. asking you, do you associate uh, emotionally with the likes of Adolf Hitler, Joseph <laughs> Stalin? I don't recall Mao, that question. And you and you say no, and then you're not. In no Slytherin. wonder you're not being Slytherin. So I'm like an honorary Slytherin, but officially, I think on Pottermore, I think I'm a. Hufflepuff. Is that a Pokemon? Hufflepuff. <laughs> oh. Um, so, I remember years ago, me and my buddies were having, like, a sleepover, and we're, we we just, like, graded each other on, like, what house we'd be in. <laughs> they gave me Slytherin. 
And then I did Pottermore and I am uh, Gryffindor. So apparently my friends think I'm a giant piece of shit. What do you identify as? I mean, I'm gonna probably say Gryffindor, but... Oh, it should be like Horoscope, where you're like, I'm Slytherin, Gryffindor rising. I associate, I would say that I associate with Hufflepuff people. Mm -hmm. But I would say that <laughs> I like this. We should keep that. That's a thing now. Decided. See, I always get Slytherin on the Pottermore quiz. Yeah, I tried to pay you for yours that time, remember? <laughs> I was like, Chelsea, I will pay you for your... That's the most Slytherin thing ever. <laughs> yes. I will pay a I was Slytherin. like, Chelsea, I will pay you for your Pottermore login. She did do this. Yeah. That is the most Slytherin thing I've ever heard. And you still Thank only you. get Griffin. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No, I think I'm Huffle. I think I got Hufflepuff this most recently. I am pretty sure that I have only ever I will say about the favoritism, I do think I do think it is because the first books and movies feel so childlike, where everything is very like good guys, bad guys, good guys get all the things, yeah. bad guys get nothing, and that's what we want. <laughs> right, but that's and it changes very introductory. It, that does change because the I feel like the the purpose of the books as they go on is to humanize all of the characters. Yeah, they actually get rid. I think. They get rid of the point system in all of the other movies, I think. They probably realize there's no time for that. Yes. <laughs> the Dark We're Lord cutting is all of that. <laughs> the Dark Lord We're going to cut a few classes. The Dark Lord's coming. Um, cut, yeah. Cut the point system. <laughs> well, they definitely do for Goblet of Fire, right? Because they replace it with... They're like, we're not doing the house cut this year. Right, or no, they're, they're not doing Quidditch that year. Quidditch. Maybe they're not doing either. Because they're just doing the tournament set. They're going to win anyway. They're going to cut the books. What's it matter? <laughs> Dumble puff. <laughs> Ganondorf. Dumble <laughs> If you had to pick one good thing about this movie, what would you say? The flying keys. <laughs> Dude, I saw the flying keys in 2006. They were so good back then. Um, and the Great Hall and all the food in the Great Hall. Love that. Also love all the snacks and the candy on the train. Also love the train. <laughs> I really, I've always thought the arrival of the letter was one of my favorite parts. That's a good one. Yeah. My favorite is still the first time you see Hogwarts Castle, I think. Oh, that's pretty magical. Mm -hmm. I remember going to um, Harry Potter World with you last year. And I was just like, yo, let's see Hogwarts. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> what about you, Eric? So I really liked... This is really... It feels stupid and arbitrary. But I really liked the way that the um, invisibility cloak looked. Mm -hmm. Like, before it turns invisible, and you just see the cloak itself. Then he puts it on, and it like comes invisible. Like obviously that's just like simple green screen work, but the 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 pattern and the the way that that cloak looks is just like so baroque and cozy. And, I really like that too. And and the other thing is probably the um the giant wizard's chest. I really liked the way that board looked. I really liked the art design of like the the ponds looked like these weird like teenage mutant ninja turtles with like 
scimitars. And it was just, it, I, I thought that was really, really cool, especially as a kid. Um, this movie does feel like it's for kids um, yeah. a little bit as an adult. Like, I feel like the later Harry Potter movies, I can still watch and it's like a good movie. I feel like this is a little bit like it's catered to children and I, I don't get into it other than sort of for nostalgic purposes at this point in my life. Um, that actually leads into my next question really well. Let's hear it. Where does this rank for you in all the Harry Potter movies? I know that it is sort of comparing apples to oranges, but... Still worth it. One through eight. <laughs> One thing I wanted to say real quick is I also, I think I mentioned it before for many hours ago when we began. Um, I really like the layout. Like, I like the way the castle looks. I like the way Hagrid's hut looks. It all, like, the landscape of the grounds looks very much like I imagined it, and it doesn't later when they change it. But that's something I really like about this movie. Um, and I'm going to have to think about the ranking. I'm going to say seventh. This is... This movie is the seventh movie yep. that you like? Yep. Okay, so you like the seventh best. Yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking too, because um, it's just very introductory. Like it's yep. necessary, obviously, and it tells important stuff. But amongst the other ones, I think this is only better than, like, Goblet. All right, that's a whole discussion. <laughs> you can't just say that. You can't just, like, throw that out there. I'm only yeah, saying that because I did that though. I know that Goblet of Fire is very polarizing. By polarizing, I mean most people hated it, but I really liked it. So I just, you did. Yeah. Almost everyone I know that's their favorite book. Goblet oh, is their favorite oh, yes. book. Book wise, yes. So maybe, maybe that's, that's why. Betrays the, like the film. Yeah. Like the, the film betrays the book. Hmm. The only movie I like less in the series than this one is Chamber of Secrets. Huh. I would have thought you would like Chamber more than this because I like more the happens book ish. more. I like the book Chamber of Secrets more than I like the full sorcerer first stone. But I think there. I feel like this that um, Chamber of Secrets the movie just feels so amateurish to me. Like, I feel like it it lacks all the magic of, like, getting to Hogwarts, and it doesn't have the artistic merit of the later movies. And or, it's just stuck in this purgatory of, like... It doesn't even necessarily have the entertainment factor for me. Yeah, I don't find it all that either. engaging. So I think I would agree with you. It's, I think it's the most forgettable of all the movies. Um, I think... And Kenneth Branagh's great. It's not like, you know, I don't have a problem with, like, the casting of Gilderoy Lockhart. Like, I think that's fine. I just think that, like, that movie feels soulless in a way compared to the other HPs. And it doesn't, and it doesn't give you that initial, like, oh, I'm going into the world of magic. That's the only reason, really, that I think that the first one, I think, is better than the second one. Is that it's, like, Bring up Lord of the Rings again. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not. Cancel. Yeah, I won't do it. I I don't love any of the movies. I I (laughs) Bye.
Wait, so you don't like any of them? I re- I, I don't want to say <laughs> I don't. If they're it's on, I will probably them. watch them, but I have never sought them out other than watching them the first time that I watched them. And then I watched them all again last fall with Eric, and I hadn't watched them again since I don't even know when. But I never watch them on purpose, really. And only when they fall. And into there are eyeballs. there are so my favorite books are six and seven. I love those two books. And I feel like there are too many differences in all of the movies, and a lot of them are things that I loved in the book. So it's not even that it's just they were different and I'm mad that they were different. Like it's often things that I specifically loved in the book that they didn't put in the movie or they changed. They really should just talk difficult. to me about what to put in and what not to put in. Or, or you, I've said that many times to yeah, myself. Just, just talk to me about it. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you. I feel the same way. Except I did enjoy them. I, I think I enjoyed them for the most part, when I first saw them, because it's Harry Potter, and I love Harry Potter, and I love mm-hmm. magic, and all You've that. You've had a but... lot of negative things to say on our most recent watch there. A lot of negative things. It was almost constant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of many, but they're not about this movie, so I'm going to hold off. <laughs> oh, we'll hear them in future episodes. I can't actually think of a ton for this movie, though. I think this is one of the ones that's more true to the book. Mm-hmm. I think but it is too. I think because it's not my it's favorite shorter, book, there's a you know. book too. The, the mm-hmm. book is just easier to interpret because there's less emotional depth. There, you know, a lot of the complex plot elements of, of the later series are just not in this book. So. Yeah, you're not diving through 750 pages worth of stuff. Right. It's 11. It's like, We're 11. I think that my rank is probably similar to yours, Eric. I think that because it still has all the magic of, like, the first Harry Potter movie, it would be seven, with Chamber of Secrets being probably eight. Yeah. So that's where I stand. But overall, I thought it was a good adaptation. Um, I know we said this in the beginning of the podcast, but probably the most faithful one to the books. For better or worse. All right, so that's our episode for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We have seven more movies to go eventually. Uh, And thank you so much to Andrew and Sadie for joining us on this one. Your input was appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can always find us on social media, and our email is weirdflixbutokpodcast at gmail.com. So we're like almost an hour in and we're not even off the train yet. They're not to hug us yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Classic. Uh